during the summer between fifth and sixth grade, I went to summer camp with my friend Marion in the piney woods of East Texas. We rode horses, we learned to sail, we learned to water ski, we played tennis, we made fabulous friends. And on the last night of camp, after we sang Pass It On and They'll Know We Are Christians By Our Love, they invited us to come forward and stand in front of the crackling campfire if we wanted to give our lives to Jesus and be saved. I remember my friend Marion and I looking at each other on the back row amongst the smoke of the campfire in that starlit night, each of us looking to the other for a signal, what were we going to do? One of us finally tugged on the other person's t-shirt. I'm not sure which way it went, but the two of us found ourselves going down that aisle up front towards the campfire. Marion and I continued to go to that camp every year of our teenage lives, but each year, I grew increasingly uncomfortable with the version of Jesus they taught me. And when I was 16, I was preparing to become a counselor in training at that camp, and I realized that in order to do so, I was going to have to sign a faith statement. And that's when I realized that as much as I loved that camp and as desperately as I wanted to be a camp counselor, I would need to lie on that form about the identity of Jesus and sign my name. It didn't seem quite right, and so I didn't do it. But don't think too highly of my teenage integrity, because as I was in the midst of debating whether or not I would sign that faith statement, my father appeared to tell me that our family was going to take a summer vacation that year to Acapulco and that it was going to interfere with the dates of camp. Who is Jesus? As an adult, I began to study scripture and I quickly realized that a hallmark of Jesus is that he almost always answers a question with another question. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Well, he says, what is written in the law? Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he answers, if you have only one sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you get it out? And then two blind men shout at him, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he stops and says, what do you want me to do for you? But today, in the scripture that Zeke read from us, Jesus lobs us the most difficult question of all. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, I don't think Jesus is offering a spiritual pop quiz here. Instead, Jesus is raising a question of our human loyalty, of our devotion. Jesus is asking in what direction does our heart lean? You see, Jesus is asking us this question in the village, in the district of Caesarea Philippi. We visited Caesarea Philippi on our recent trip through Israel just a few weeks ago. And there at Caesarea Philippi is a large carving of the Greek god Pan, the god of nature. It is right above the source of a spring, the source 
the god of Pan. Most likely, in the time of Jesus, Pan was not the only god there. There were other statues, other gods, other carvings to other parts of life that were important to people. And so most likely, Jesus is standing there asking this question, perhaps gesturing to all those other gods in stone tablets and saying, amidst all of this, what role do I play in your own life? Well, now you and I no longer believe in those multitude of gods, but we do have a lot of compelling forces that compete for our attention each day that demand our devotion. This week, Kansas Cityans go to the polls because we are called to be good citizens and do our civic duty. Some days, our biggest task is figuring out how to take good care of our families. The mortgage is due and $3,000 for braces is due today, and grandmother just had a stroke and needs a visit today. And so we juggle the economic pressures and the calling to love our families. Some days we just wanna take a deep breath and go for a run or go to yoga and just tend to our own physical well-being. Jesus asks his disciples, in the midst of all these cultural definitions of success, where do you devote your heart? What do you make in the midst of all of this stuff of life? What do you make of Jesus? This question haunted the early church. We know that because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three gospels, raise this same dialogue raise this same question, who do you say that I am? And the Gospels are written a generation or two or maybe even three after the time of Jesus. And so we know the fact that the Gospel writers put it in here that the early church, the early Christians are wrestling. Who was this Jesus? Was he really the Messiah? Was he the son of the living God? Was he another of God's great prophets? Was he simply a great teacher? Is he just someone who is a good example for all of us to follow? What do we make of him? What do we make of this one named Jesus? In every generation, we are called to answer the question that Jesus raises. Who do you say that I am? A friend of mine taught me years ago that after reading a great book or seeing a wonderful movie, it's fun to just stop and ask, who was the Christ figure in that movie? Who was the Christ figure in that novel? Who saved the day? Who sacrificed that others might live? Who forgave? Who loved with deep compassion or took up for the underdog? Last summer, I read a novel called The Great Alone. It's about a group of folks, most of whom are misfits, who flee the lower 49 and go up to Alaska to settle in this remote place to really start life anew. But it's a rough life. It's a difficult life. And my favorite character in the novel was a woman they called Large Marge. She's a large African-American woman who owns and runs the general store. And she seems to have this sixth sense, this way of knowing what is going on in the lives of everyone in this community. One day, a man who has PTSD loses it 
and he physically harms his wife and threatens his daughter. And out of the blue, large Marge shows up and knocks on the door and comes into their home. And she does everything she can do to make sure that that wife and that daughter will be safe. And she confronts the father and she tells him, never again will this happen. Marge has a way of looking after other people. She knows how to keep their secrets, how to listen, how to intervene when necessary, how to give counsel and advice. She's so rough around the edges, but she's pure gold at her core. Large Marge is the Christ figure, a source of compassion in a community that is plagued with pain and despair. Where do you see Jesus in the world today? Not just in movies or books, but in life. Is he just a historical figure in the Bible, one we think about on Sunday? On a recent trip to Israel, we went to a lot of places where they said, this right here is where Jesus walked. And it was powerful to remember to set foot on those same stones. But for me, the most moving place in Israel, the place where my heart was grabbed, was the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Maybe some of you have been there, but there's a new building that they've added in recent years. It is a small white building dedicated to the remembrance of the 1.5 million children who lost their lives in the Holocaust. You know, most of those children were Jewish, but some of them were gypsies, and some of them were mentally or physically handicapped, or some of them were Jehovah's Witness. When you step into this white building, it is completely dark inside. You have to hold on to the handrail to make sure that you can know even where the walls are. The only lights are little twinkling stars in the dome over your head. And the only sound are the names of those 1.5 million children being read aloud. And if you stayed long enough to hear all their names read, you would need to stay four years. I was glad that it was dark because I emerged from that little memorial weeping, knowing that these innocent children were the face of the living Christ. All around the grounds of this museum are trees, beautiful, lush, green trees, and each tree has a nameplate on it. It is named for someone who sheltered those who were persecuted during the Holocaust. There is a tree named the Ten Boom family. Corrie Ten Boom lived in the Netherlands. She was a certified watchmaker, the first woman certified watchmaker in the Netherlands, and she worked in her father's watch shop. They were a Christian family, and they began hiding Jews in their home. First friends of theirs, and later the word got out, and they became part of the resistance movement, even building a new room in the home called the Hiding Place. Corey went one day to the home of a family friend who in their region was in charge of issuing the ration cards because after all, they were going to need to feed all these people. 
He asked how many ration cards she needed, and she opened her mouth to say the words five, and out came the words 100, and he gave her 100 cards. Eventually, Corey and her family were arrested and imprisoned. She was held in solitary confinement. Three months later, she was taken to trial. On the stand, Corey explained that she was devoted to working with the mentally disabled folks in their time, and the Natsu lieutenant in her earshot scoffed. He said, they should, ch those children, the mentally and physically handicapped, they should be eliminated. We have eliminated so many of them already. And Corey Ten Boom spoke up and she said, in God's eyes, those children, they're more valuable than a watchmaker or a lieutenant. Corey risked her life to speak the truth. And that is exactly what Peter does when he answers Jesus' question with these words, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The answer Peter gives, it changes him because Jesus responds by saying, Peter, you are the rock. Upon you, I will build my church. Peter and Jesus, in this moment, they form a relationship. They link their lives together. Once Peter claims that in Jesus, he has glimpsed God in the human flesh, Peter knows that God can appear in his flesh too. If God could live in Jesus, then God could live in anyone. Peter got a new identity that day. He got a new job description. He would be, he would be like large Marge, and he would be like Corey Ten Boom, and all those ordinary people in the world who use their own hands and feet to deliver God's love and compassion to a world that is hungry for the truth and the beauty of God. If Jesus is just a good guy, then you and I can sit back and relax and we can admire him from a distance. And if Jesus was the forerunner of God, the, the messenger about a one day time in the future when God will come and make it all right, then you and I can simply hope and pray. But if Jesus was God in the flesh, and we cannot remain who we are at this moment. We must become someone new. We too have the capacity to reveal God's love in human flesh. Jesus dares to ask us an extraordinarily high stakes question. Each one of us must answer it in our own way. Who do you say that I am.